Hello and welcome to Airborne. I'm your host, Daniel Schuster. This is a podcast meant to showcase the beliefs and values of the four predominant political parties of the United States in order to encourage free debate and the spread of ideas. Looking down at the United States from above, when you're airborne, you can't see the lines dividing red and blue states or the disputes dividing liberals and conservatives. The left wing and the right wing are part of the same bird. And at the end of the day, we have more in common than we do different. And there is no evil, only difference of opinion. This episode today is going to be a little bit different from the way I usually do it. Usually what I do is I create an outline. It's either a general framework or I literally type out the entire episode into a script and read off of it because it's easier to remember and it creates better flow. And usually the episode is a little history lesson, a bit of perspective on both sides of the argument and what they think about that particular issue. But today's episode is going to be unscripted completely. I just want to sit down and talk about the Capitol riots that have shocked the world for the past few days. So for this episode, we're going unscripted and we're just chatting about what may be a turning point in American history. So these riots, they've shocked the world and that's not a joke or an exaggeration. World leaders went up onto the stage, wherever they were in whatever country, and they looked into the camera and tried to start talking. And in the end, they just said, my God, what happened? What did happen? I mean, America is the supposedly the seat of hope and democracy. People look to America as that shining beacon of what life could be like if it were better, if the world was more free, if we were more prosperous. And I don't know about any of you guys who are listening, but when I think of America, usually I think of the Capitol building. Even when I picture the White House, the first thing that pops into my mind is the Capitol building, which is not the White House. It's that got that ubiquitous dome and the spire in the House and Senate chambers on either side. And that's just the pillar of stability and democracy and government, supposedly. But my perception has switched a bit now. So the world doesn't know what to do. And even though it's been a few days, it was technically the day before yesterday, it still feels raw and fresh. And the country's still trying to figure out what to do. And I also wanna talk about how we got here because I don't think anybody who witnessed the riots thought this was a spontaneous occasion, that it just occurred out of nowhere, because it didn't. It had to come from somewhere. Everything comes from somewhere. And so you could either tie it back to President Trump and his rhetoric, which is what plenty of people have done. It's the most obvious decision to make, and it's not entirely wrong either. But it's also years in the making. And the people who did storm the Capitol are a very small fraction of the country. 
it's not as though 95% of America believes what they did. 95% of America is calm and reasonable, and they looked at the riots and they were shocked. But this anger that came from the rioters, it's been years of feeling as though they are looked at as second class, as less than, as their world being taken away from them. And largely it is because they're living in the past and they hold beliefs that really nobody does. But they can find one another because of the internet. And when one of these kooks, because that's what they are, has a belief, instead of just feeling as though they're alone in the world, with the power of the internet, they can reach out and find one another easily. You can go online and find people whose profile matches yours, whose beliefs match yours, and that's a good and a bad thing. There's a certain responsibility that comes to the internet, but that's content for a whole nother episode because of the rabbit hole that we can go into on that topic. So we have a responsibility when using social media in the internet to find people who are like us and use rhetoric because words matter. There's the ubiquitous saying, actions are louder than words. While that may be true, words are still plenty loud and they inspire other people to take action, which is also loud. As I'm recording this, actually right now, I just saw a notification that Twitter has permanently suspended President Trump from its platform, completely. Not 12 hours, not 24 hours, not a week, but permanently. And they cite that he may incite violence further. And that brings us to how these riots even started. There was oversight. And even though there was oversight, we missed it. Because ever since Biden was technically the winner of the election, when Pennsylvania and Nevada and Arizona, when they all announced that Biden was the winner of the state, there was protest, there was outcry, there was, that can't be true. And the alt-right, and that's what I will call them, the alt-right, because they're not conservative, they're not Republican. These people who consistently believe that there's some sort of rigged election, that the world is out to get them, they're not principled and they don't belong to a party. Not really. So when the alt-right found this out, they said repeatedly, just wait, something's going to happen. Just you wait. You'll see before long. December 14th, just watch. And so the world watched, and on December 14th, the Electoral College officially certified Joe Biden as the winner. And if you want to know more about the Electoral College, you can check out the video I made called The Fate of the Free World. It's episode three. It discusses the intricacies of the Electoral College. And so the Electoral College certified the win. But the alt-right was not to be deterred. They said again, just you wait, you'll see. And the world laughed, the world laughed. And the alt-right wasn't taken seriously. That was the first mistake. But the alt-right again was not to be deterred and they said, just you wait. January 6th, when 
Congress certifies the results of the Electoral College, which is usually a ceremonial process. This has never been in the news. This has never been a serious thing. Usually in every election cycle, 2016 even, 2012, 2008, as far back as it goes, this, the evening when Congress certifies is a quaint little fragment of the past that we have to do just out of the process of democracy and making sure the results are legitimate by the government. So the alt-right said, wait, you'll see. And again, the world laughed. And that's the problem because the alt-right came through on its promise. They said that somehow Trump would be reelected. That's not true. He hasn't been. Vice President Pence has admitted it. Congress has admitted it. It's true. So the alt-right didn't get exactly what they wanted, but they sure as heck made a statement. But the world didn't think it would happen, which proves that every single political ideology, whether it's liberalism, conservatism, libertarianism, if you're a member of the Green Party, if you're a communist, a socialist, if you're part of the alt-right, or a neo-Nazi, every ideology has to be taken seriously because either your ideology is worth hearing, worth listening to, worth discussing and debating, or it's not like Nazism, but you could still do damage. And people like that have to be paid attention to. One, it satisfies their ego. And two, it prevents them from doing serious damage like we saw at the Capitol, because then we know what to watch out for, and we can take these threats seriously. And that brings me to how unprotected and vulnerable the heart of democracy was that day. So going back to that image of the Capitol building, strong, protected, invincible, the seat of power. None of that is true, except for the fact that it is the seat of power. It's not strong, it's not invincible, it can be broken into easily, apparently. So many things have better security than the Capitol did, did that day because these people weren't taken seriously. So how did it start? Well, there was a rally. Everyone who still believed that their world was being snatched from under their feet showed up at the Capitol. And President Trump came out and he said along the lines of, you're wonderful people. The election was stolen. Go march down there to the Capitol and tell them how you feel. And they did. And like I said, words matter. So when you keep repeating that the election was stolen, people will believe you without any evidence just to be part of that tribe. And then President Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, came out. And he said something even more bombastic. He said, let's have a trial by combat, whatever that means. He wasn't thinking about what he was saying. What does trial by combat mean? Majority leader, now minority leader, Mitch McConnell comes out with a sword and a gauntlet and throws it down and says, let's go to battle. No. But people were inflamed by that rhetoric and they marched down there. 
and Congress is having a joint session. Everyone is there who can attend, which means 435 representatives and 100 senators. It's 535 people, plus every intern and secretary and aide and staff. It's a lot of people. And the alt-right marched down there, and the Capitol was not ready for it. So there they are. They're standing outside. They're holding American flags. They're holding Don't Tread on Me flags, the yellow flag with the snake. And they're holding Trump flags. And the Trump logo for president, Trump 2020, Keep America Great, that was a political slogan. Same thing as Hillary Clinton's I'm with her, Joe Biden, restore the soul of the nation. All of these political slogans, sound bites, they're common. But what gets me is how they're waving these flags like it represents a country or a set of principles. It's one man. And they made a flag out of it and they're marching on the Capitol with this flag and American flags as if they have the same power. And I guess in that moment they did. And in the meantime, when they're standing outside and they're shouting, and in the meanwhile, Congress is inside certifying the results. This is the official, official, official step. And the Arizona certification was objected to, which means that Congress, the Senate and the House went back to their respective chambers and they debate about whether or not this state should be certified or whether to go through with the objection and set up a commission to investigate for voter fraud for around 10 days. So they were speaking. And James Langford, who was a senator from Oklahoma, was talking. He supported the objection. And as he was speaking, you could hear gunshots from outside. All of a sudden, he stops. They all look around. And then they start being told, you need to evacuate. Because stuff is getting real right now. And this is no longer a game. And they run into the chambers of the House and the Senate. And so gradually, Congress realizes that all of this theater, all of this making objections at the very last second, all of a sudden that resistance manifested itself into a literal mob that broke the floodgates and started streaming into the Capitol. And as they were leaving the room, Senator Mitt Romney from Utah, the Republican who ran against President Obama for president in 2012, screamed at Ted Cruz, a senator who objected, and he screamed something along the lines of, see where you've gotten us now. And all these politicians are going down to a bunker, and I can imagine it was super awkward in there, sitting with people who you disagree with and who you blame with for starting this. And in the meantime, the mob sweeps in, and they storm the Capitol. Just like that, the Capitol building was broken into. And you can bet that somewhere across the world, there are terrorists sitting there and foreign governments and are looking on this with either glee or horror and are thinking, that's how easy it is? Really? All you have to do is be some nobody from Alabama and you can just stream in there 
and break down the doors and run through and that's all it takes. But anyway, the mob streams in and they start vandalizing the Capitol. They start throwing things. People are getting in by smashing windows. Again, that's all it takes. Smashing windows, apparently. And they're jumping inside and this raw force sweeps through. And then they start running from door to door and they're holding weapons. Yes, they have weapons too. And they're holding weapons and they're running door to door and they're screaming, where are they? And they're holding guns. And they run into the chambers, the Senate and House, and they sit on the dice. They sit in the chair. And they're yelling, freedom, let's go, look at us now. These are people who are half naked. There was one guy wearing a moose pelt or something. And they're sitting in these chairs like kings and queens, as if they've won something. They've gotten into the very heart of American democracy and have taken the place of elected officials. And still they're on the prowl. And as they're on the prowl, there are two images or scenes that I can see in my mind. And I wasn't at the Capitol, so I'm just imagining it and going off of what I see in the media. One of them was a picture of a man carrying a Confederate flag through the Capitol. Man, that is some cognitive dissonance. Every Confederate, when they lost the Civil War, was considered a traitor. They lost. And they were sent home. Everyone from the Confederate Army was sent home because President Lincoln decided to be lenient. And there's this man who is walking through the halls of Congress with a Confederate flag with impunity. Nothing is happening to him. I don't know if that specific person was arrested or not. I don't know. But there he is. But the Confederate flag, that is against everything the United States stands for. And he's walking around like a peacock, as if nothing matters. And I guess to him in that moment, it didn't. That's one moment. Because of just how dissonant it is. I use the phrase cognitive dissonance. Those two things just don't go together. And yet there they are. In 2021 in the Capitol building. So that's one image. And another image, and this was again touched on by a speech from Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey later on, but I'll get to that. It was apparently, I read in the news, how the American flag was ripped off the Capitol building balcony, and it was replaced with a Trump flag. Now that's something that really hasn't sunk in yet. I don't think I've processed it just yet, the implications of what that action means. But it means, in a sense, that the American flag and the Trump flag are two different things. Just think on that for a second. These rioters, and they are rioters, there's a difference between a peaceful protest or a sit-in or anything like that and literally breaking and entering, much less into the seat of democracy. These rioters didn't put up a Trump flag next to the American flag. They didn't put a Trump flag on top of the American flag. They tore one down and they put another one up. And like I said, that means that those two things are not congruent. You cannot have 
the American flag up with Trump's flag on the same balcony. There is some symbolism there, strong symbolism. So that event and the Confederate flag marcher are two images that one thing's for sure, they're going to be in AP US history classes some years into the future for certain. But eventually, the National Guard is called in. Boy, did they take a while. And the National Guard can't be deployed until someone authorizes it. And eventually it was authorized. But apparently not by the President of the United States, but by the Vice President of the United States. The story goes that President Trump and Vice President Pence shouted back and forth and were talking. And eventually, Vice President Pence took matters into his own hands and he deployed the National Guard himself. And other reports have shown from Oval Office staff, and again, some of this stuff gets garbled in the retelling, so we really have no way of knowing how much is accurate or not. But apparently, according to the aides, President Trump was looking out at the mob and was happy about it. Do with that what you will. I'm not going to tell you how to think about that or whether that's justified. Just go with that. So the National Guard is deployed and the Capitol Police eventually clear the situation out. And eventually the rioters leave the building. They're forced out, but not without some goodies. Yes, they actually decided on top of invading the capital, they had to take some stuff back as trophies too. And as these images spread throughout the media, they've become pretty famous, even in a few days. There's one dude that's carrying out a podium. I think it was Speaker Pelosi's podium. And he sold it on eBay, and the bidding went as high as Thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands. I'm not sure exactly what it's sold for. I'm not sure if it's going to be returned to the Capitol. I hope it is. I don't know how likely that is, though. And another guy who has been arrested. I'm not sure what his name is. I know it's in the news at this point. There's a picture of him sitting in Speaker Pelosi's office. They seem to go after her quite a bit. He's sitting in her office and his boots are on her desk. And he took her mail. Now, that's a crime. Mail theft is a crime. There's a pretty hefty penalty, hundreds of thousands of dollars and jail time. He took it as a trophy and as a cool social media picture, which also helped him be identified. Not smart. And he looked on her computer and their emails were open on the desks. That's how quickly all the politicians were evacuated. So they're taking trophies because... Now it's it's come to looting. It's no longer a protest. It never was. It's now gone past a riot. It's now gone past trespassing and destruction of federal property. And it's turned into who can get the coolest thing from the Capitol and then sell it for money. It might even be more valuable to keep, but they're not even that smart. So they're selling it. And a lot of these people are now being tracked down. They're being prosecuted, as they should be for several charges, really strict charges. And now the issue has come to whether President Trump even has the authority to issue a blanket pardon because they're gonna need it with, with everything they did. For example, that one guy who took the mail could be charged for mail theft, trespassing, 
destruction of feral property, and a number of other stuff, along with maybe even sedition. It doesn't look good on the permanent record. So here we are. The police, which didn't act well at all. Speaking of which, they're getting cleared out, and eventually they are. But we need to talk about how the police acted first, because whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, a liberal or a conservative, there is a clear difference with how the police acted in this situation with these riots and the Black Lives Matter protests that occurred in summer of 2020. There is an image that again has been circulating through the media of the Capitol Police standing on the steps of the Capitol and they're in war gear. They're ready. They are standing in formation resolutely as the Black Lives Matter protesters were walking down the street. And they're absolutely ready to go. They're prepared. They're armed. And they are probably given the directive beforehand to show no mercy. By contrast, the police at these riots did borderline nothing until far, far later after, in fact, the Capitol was broken into. I saw a video. I'm not sure, again, if it's accurate or what the context was. Context is super important. That goes without saying. But it's an image of the police opening a metal gate and allowing the rioters through. That's just ridiculous. And it really shows the difference of how the police act towards certain people and certain Protesters and certain groups are given higher priority than others. Now, blanket statements are not productive and they're often incorrect. So when saying, for example, that any policeman would have done that, the police are, it's in their nature to not stand against these kinds of people. I disagree. I don't think that's true at all. I think it depends on the character of the person within the uniform. Because a human is wearing that uniform. There's a person under there. And so the people who chose to open the gates were wrong if that happened in that context. And I don't think any policeman would have done that. I think that depends on the person. But whoever opened the gates, they were wrong. Dead wrong to do that. And so the rioters sweep in and they take over the capital and they come out and they have trophies. And eventually the situation is cleared up, I think around 8.30 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And the politicians are called back into the chamber. And it's that simple statement, that's the important one. He goes on to talk, but that's the one that really caught my attention. He talked about how similar it was. When I mentioned them tearing down the American flag and putting up the Trump flag, the British could have easily torn down the American flag and put up the Union Jack. They could have done that. And it would have been just as expected or similar. And so that was a really powerful speech that was, to me, very thought-provoking. And so the Senate and the House are back in session. And no matter what you think of the politicians in Washington, it's pretty admirable that they went back there after having attempts on their life and got back to business. I think that's admirable. I think they were right to do that. And then they start speechifying, they start talking, they go back to debating the Arizona objection, which was going on, the debate was, as the rioters stormed in. And the senator from Oklahoma, James Langford, 
starts talking again because his time was cut off. And needless to say, that time that the rioters were damaging the Capitol building didn't count as his time. So he starts to talk. And he goes on to say, we don't condone violence. This is unacceptable. Nobody supports this. No reasonable person supports this. And I think he went on to drop his objection. And so did plenty, plenty others. It took an attempt on their life, but they did it. They dropped the objection. And Minority Leader McConnell, I'm going to call him Minority Leader because he will be in a couple of days when the when Senators Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are sworn in. He said, this is insane. This should never happen. We will not be intimidated. The Capitol is back in business. And he goes on to basically school his colleagues and say, we need to drop this theater now. And he acknowledges that it was theater. He does. And he says, drop it. And everyone drops it. Except Senators Josh Hawley from Missouri and Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. They all drop it. And they're all giving lots and lots of speeches talking about how essentially the same thing, how this is crazy, how this is unprecedented, how the last time somebody got inside the Capitol was in 1814 when the British invaded and tried to burn the White House and went on to the land on Washington, D.C. And so they're talking. And then Senator Cory Booker stands up and he's giving that speech I mentioned earlier. And I thought it was very, very powerful. I thought it was a great speech. He's talking about how only two times ever have people marched into the Capitol waving flags only loyal to a sole sovereign. One was a monarch and one was Donald Trump. They talk. They love stroking their own egos, these politicians in Congress. I think it comes with giving speeches time and time again. And they finish and they vote on the Arizona objection and it does not pass. Eventually, Arizona is certified. They move down the line. They, they call the states by name in alphabetical order. It's a very ceremonial process. They ask, does anyone object? No. Okay. And they move on. And then they get to Georgia. And then they came back and they certified Pennsylvania. And eventually, and of course, there's an objection to Georgia. Georgia was one of those very contentious states. Now, in order to object, you have to have a number of things. You have to have a written objection formally, and it has to be signed by at least one member of the House and one member of the Senate. And so a congressman stands up and he says, I object, me and several of my colleagues, we all object to certifying the state of Georgia's results. Vice President Pence is very patient, and he says, okay, is it in writing? Yes, okay. Who's your senator? And he says, we don't have one. Now they did, and that senator was none other than former senator, now Kelly Leffler from Georgia, who was just defeated by now Senator Raphael Warnock a few days ago. And she had objected to it, but she made a speech after the rioters were swept out of the Capitol and cleared up. She objected to the state originally, and then she overturned her own objection. Whether it was actual remorse or a political play or revenge at President Trump, 
I don't know. But she overturned it. And there was applause and cheers and whistles. And then they move on. And they get down to Pennsylvania. And there's an objection. And this time they do have a written objection from Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. And they go back and debate. And they talk for a good long while. This takes hours. It's not a fast process. The Senate yielded all of its time and didn't debate. But the House went on for quite some time. All the states were finished. And Congress certified the results for now President Biden and Vice President Harris. It went through. And even though the rioters swept through the Capitol, the House and Senate were not to be deterred. And I want to give shout outs to the speeches made by, again, as I said, Senator Booker, but also Vice President Pence and Minority Leader McConnell. They were powerful speeches. Yes, they may have came too late, but they said what needed to be said. And they were very, very eloquent about it. And I admire that. Especially when the rhetoric that was spewed by a president who was largely enabled by these two for four years is what leads these riots to come to pass. It takes guts to speak up against that. And they did so. And I think that's admirable. So Congress finished the job. The states were certified. Joe Biden was officially made president. They did it. Washington, D.C. is now a ghost town. There was a curfew set up. The city is largely empty. It feels like it's haunted. And it is haunted. The people who left there are coming back home and they're telling their families, never in my life did I think I would see anything like this. I don't think any of us expected to see anything like this either. In fact, people are calling it the 9-11 of Generation Z. People died, not as many as in 9-11, but it's that political shakeup that rocks the nation to its core, that changes perspectives and makes people think and rethink what's possible, for better or for worse. And as we look back, we will remember what people did during this moment. And that brings me to the video released by the president himself. And the video was supposed to be a deterrent to the rioters. It was supposed to say, I don't condone this. You're done. Go home. Don't be violent. Don't break laws. Don't endanger people's lives. You're wrong. Go home. What it actually was, was a several minute victimization fest of him saying again how the election was stolen, how he deserved to win, how it hurts that they lost. And then he says, go home. He says it eventually. And then he says, I love you. You're very special. And he says this to people like the Confederate flag marcher and people who were wearing shirts with an acronym that said six million wasn't enough, which implies that more Jews should have died during the Holocaust and that it wasn't enough. There was a man wearing a shirt that said Camp Auschwitz with names on the back of the shirt of Nazi officials who ran the camp, and they were printed on the shirt as if to emulate an actual summer camp staff on a staff t-shirt. They should not be called special, and it shook the world. And it will for a long, long time. We're going to be talking about this for weeks. This isn't an event that just fades away into obscurity. It's an event that will become part of American history. And that brings me to a speech that I heard today by Democratic Governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. He was giving 
one of his coronavirus briefings about the rates in the state, the rates of infection. But he wanted to preface the speech with a little pre-speech about the Washington Capitol riots. And I thought what he said was absolutely true and very, very powerful. Democratic governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, said that this is a moment. There are moments like this. 9-11 was a moment. Usually any election is a moment. We now know it is, given that this one was a pretty clear example. The riots were a moment. They're going to be in APUS history classes, DBQs on AP tests in high school. It's a fleeting snapshot, Governor Cuomo called it, of life. And what will be remembered and what will be your legacy is what you did when that moment happened. Where were you? What did you say? What did you do? How did you take action? What did you think? Were you silent or did you speak? Did you intervene? And when this event is looked back upon, that's what will be remembered. Your actions in this snapshot of history, which will be long remembered and probably never forgotten. And that brings me to why I recorded this episode today, giving a play-by-play -play breakdown of the events, talking about how the president's rhetoric enabled these rioters, how the politicians played theater until the time came and their lives were nearly lost when going into hiding in that bunker below the Capitol. That brings me to why I recorded this episode and why I called it specifically Protect the Heart. I made this podcast because I wanted to show people and talk to people indirectly, obviously, it's just my voice, but I wanted to talk to people about how behind the person there's policy and behind every policy there's just a person. And it's possible to debate, to argue, to even fight, and at the end of the day, come together, shake hands, do a corona bump, fist bump, hug when the time calls for it, and depart as equals, as friends, patriots, Americans, knowing that what you just talked about doesn't have to come between you. The policies that you support don't define you. And you can still be a decent human being and still spread knowledge and still talk and discuss and disagree and still form a connection with that person. And I want to end off this episode with this. And I posted this on my Instagram story not too long ago. And I said that the people who did this, who stormed the Capitol, they're not Republican. They're not even conservative. They're just not American. They don't stand for what America stands for. You can't box these people in as Republicans or conservatives, and you most definitely should not blame the Republican Party or any conservative who you know for this tragedy, because it's not their fault. 95% of America was looking at these events playing out and were horrified. There were Republicans in Congress who were furious, livid, common-sense conservatives who cannot believe 
This is the America that they've known all of their lives. And so there is no one to blame for this. Only the people who did it, who rioted. Responsibility can't be pinned onto directly one person. And several things unite all of us. All of us who believe that majority rules, like how peaceful transitions of power need to occur in order for our country to keep moving forward. How you have to show maturity when you lose, bow your head, mope about it maybe, but then still stand up back straight and say, I lost and that's okay. And to keep moving forward. That's what makes us Americans and patriots who want to see this country succeed. And what we saw on January 6th was the heart of America being ripped apart and broken into. The heart of this country, the heart of democracy was invaded by parasites who were eventually cleared out, but still. And so to move past this, we need to fight for what we believe in and to ensure that America gets back on its feet, supporting the power to the people, democracy, a peaceful transition, civil debate and disagreement, showing compassion to those who you don't agree with. That's how we protect the heart of this country, which is that the people rule, even though it's not always, in your view, correct. That democracy is delicate, fragile, but beautiful, like a china teapot. And even though you can disagree with somebody, you're still people, and you can still come together at the end of the day. This has been Airborne, Protect the Heart. If you liked what you heard here today, you can follow me on Instagram at the handle at Airborne Podcast, no underscores, and you can listen to Airborne on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Breaker. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode, and remember to always keep an open mind. <laughs>